Absolutely incredible. Hard to believe. Tuesday, <laughs> August 10th. It is the macro setup. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Today's macro setup is brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Nadex. Dan, get ready. There'll be a quiz. The leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and knockouts. And today we're going to be joined by the great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX, and of course, our friends at Open Exchange. Dan, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. A lot of things matter on this August 10th. Seems to be one of those slow summer days, but it's anything but. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great, guy. I mean, listen, you know, the, the stock market is is. Definitely our focus here. We're going to bring Christopher Vecchio in, senior strategist at the Daily FX, as, sure as you like to say. And he's going to hit us with uh, a bunch of currencies. There's a lot of stuff that's moving around here. The one thing that is not moving around is our the thing that we're supposed to be trafficking in most, and it's stocks. I mean, when you think under the hood, there's a lot of stocks that are moving around. But the major equity indices just seem to be levitating, as we've said a couple times over the last few weeks on the macro setup here, Guy Dami. But we got three things to focus on here, don't we? We do. Our top three things. Guy and Dan's top three. <laughs> That's a great little graphic. Great job, Amanda Diaz, our crack producer. Three things to watch. Look, impervious stock market. I don't know what impervious means, but if it means it doesn't care about anything, that's exactly right. Because <laughs> as we sit here right now, the S&P 500 is at another all-time high. It's incredible. Rates bottoming out, you know, that 114 level, you saw that jobs number on Friday, Dan, and rates went from about 119 to about 13 in a heartbeat, a nanosecond, as they say. That's interesting. So maybe rates did bottom. I happen to agree with that. And Bitcoin, my God, 28,000 to what are we, 45,000 now? I want, to, I want to say in a straight line, but I will tell you the last $7,000, $8,000 has been a rocket ship. Those are the things we're going to focus on. So the first thing we need to look at, Dan, is an S&P 500 chart because we're speaking about an impervious market. Well, there you go. Impervious. That's lower left to upper right, as Dennis Gartman would say. Bouncing pretty much up against that upper trend line. What are your thoughts here? We continue to go towards this 4,500 level. Yeah. And, you know, I guess what, what I'm really focused on the fact is that this is a large cap phenomenon. We're going to look at the Russell 2000, the small cap index that's been going sideways for six or seven months now. It's underperforming the major um, indices, the S&P and the NASDAQ. And you just look at what's going on there. I mean, you just see the range is getting narrower and narrower. We know the breadth, the new highs in the S&P 500 are getting smaller and smaller. And the distance from its 200-day moving average, which is just below 4,000, is obviously getting greater and greater. I mean, listen, we are at, you know, nearly the midpoint of August. We know that things slow down um, a bit. We know that we have, you know, maybe three quarters of the S&P 500 earnings in the rear view mirror, and they were generally pretty good. I think that the Delta variant and some other concerns about just fits and starts with a global recovery might start to weigh on stocks a little bit, but you could have said that at any point over the last few months. So to me, you know, the, the risk reward of the S&P 500, I know it's consolidating a little bit. It looks to be like a little flag here. And I think to your point, might we see, you know, 4,500? Maybe. I just don't see what the catalyst is, though, Guy, other than something that's unnatural, which reminds me of last August 2020. Remember that head scratching rally where mega cap tech stocks were just squeezing higher? Well, just remember what happened in September 2020. Why? Wow, you're laughing at me here. What? No, I'm what? not laughing. I was scratching my head. You said head scratching. Oh, so there I did, you go. You know, I'm, 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 what do they call that? Method acting type of thing. No, you're 100% right. What's the <laughs> catalyst? Well, earnings are gone. I mean, maybe the catalyst comes in the form 
of all these central bankers getting together in the Jackson Hole or something and saying something ridiculous. I mean, that's been a catalyst for stocks before. We'll see. Or maybe the fact that we're through earnings and we're in August and it's a slow period. And there's that old saying, don't short a dull market. I mean, all those things seem to be in favor of the S&P 500 trading up to the upper end of that uh, spectrum, that range. But what I'll say here is that 11% or 12% or so away from the 200-day moving average, again, we haven't seen this thing in, I I can't remember the last meaningful time that we even came close to testing the 200-day. And again, the longer this takes us to get there, the more concerned I become. But the market is, again, to use our first word, impervious. I looked it up on the Google machine while we were doing this. And that's exactly right. It is impervious. You know what else seems to be impervious, Dan, is the NDX, the NASDAQ. we got to take a look at that as well because your F mega complex continues to sort of rule the day. And here we are at the upper end of that range. And the 200-day moving average, again, 13,350 or so. Well, a couple thousand points or so away. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, the NDX, the NASDAQ 100 is a little different to me than the S&P 500 because those five top names, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, and Facebook make up 45% or so of the weight. And, you know, look at that thing there. You know, when you talk about how far it is away from its 200-day moving average, yeah, at 15.1, it's far from 13.35 or something like that. But it's really important to remember that, you know, the NASDAQ 100 was unchanged on the year back in March. It was in the, in the midst of a real correction. So the NASDAQ 100 has corrected. I think the S&P 500 is more than 190 days away from a 5% peak to trough decline. Now, the concentration on those major names that make up $9.5 trillion in market cap is the thing that keeps it levitating. Again, we use that word. But it's also the thing when I go back to September 2020, when the NASDAQ went down 10% in September Some of the biggest names, Apple and Amazon, went down twice that. They went down about 20% or so. So for some of you that think that these stocks are impervious, again, I mean, just go back and look a year ago what happened. We might be playing um, out of the same exact playbook. Same sandbox as they say. It's the third time we've used that word. I won't use it again, I promise. But again, here we are at the (laughs) upper end of that range. What's the catalyst? That's what you have to ask yourself. Because I got to tell you something. We're going to look at rates in a little bit. If rates continue to grind higher... That was a catalyst for these stocks to go lower, if you recall. When the 10-year went to 175, the NASDAQ didn't like it all that much. You can see that move, obviously, in March. Now we're getting back on the bus. We'll see. I think rates do go higher. But the most economically sensitive, Dan, is the RTY. And before you wax poetic, because I want to hear what you have to say, this is the macro setup. So I'm not looking to get all micro here, but Go and look at where some of these casino stocks are trading. We're back to levels we saw in April of 2020 in a lot of these names. That is concerning, something that nobody's talking about. I think they should because the most economically sensitive, well, chances are they are casinos, but obviously the ETF that makes up these small cap names is economically sensitive as well. And it can't figure out what to do. We've been in this sideways range effectively since December. Yeah, we've seen a lot of economically sensitive names. You know, they topped out when rates topped out in March or April or so. They kind of sniffed out the, you know, the kind of fear about inflation. There's little doubt that there's definitely been some wage inflation. And that's something we've seen in the jobs reports. And we've also, you know, seen a lot of commodities that have had these big runs and there's still supply shortages. And the fact that, you know, the global economy um, and supply chains have not reopened it the way a lot of people thought. Oh, you got your hand up there, buddy. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, you know, it's, I'm glad I'm, I'm calling an audible here and I'm sorry to. <laughs> do this, Dan. I know you hate when I do this, but are you familiar with a company called uh, the Jefferies by any chance? Yeah, it's an investment bank. 
It is an investment bank. And did you see the headline that came out of it? Because you mentioned wage inflation. It just, you know, the wheels on my head sort of spin a little bit. You know, did you read the headline about what they were doing over the last couple of days, Dan? Yeah, they're raising prices for their entry level. Yes. Okay. so that's it. That's all I just wanted to hear it, because, you know, we've talked about the lower end of the range, you know, the lower jobs, obviously minimum wage getting ratcheted up on their own accord by companies. Now you're seeing it on the other end of the spectrum. Wage inflation. Uh, it is here. Please continue. I'm sorry to do that, Dan. Yeah, I'll I just called push it audible back. like Jim Everett behind center. I'm just Chris Everett. I'm just going to pull back the, or push back a little bit and say that, you know, I think that that wage growth that you're seeing in low end investment banking is not a deal that a lot of these investment bankers should be taking at this moment, going from 85,000 starting salary to 110. I guarantee you that those senior bankers are going to get their pound of flesh for that. So I'll just kind of give you that. Um, listen, you know, we've seen rotations. I think this is the biggest point that you're trying to make guy um, that, you know, cyclical names, like a lot of these um, smaller cap names. And we know there's a lot of financials um, in uh, the small cap indices. We've seen it in transports. We've seen it in energy. We've seen some of those kind of major increases, at least in the stock prices, be a bit transitory. They've come back in. I would have you note that when yields went lower last week, broke new lows, I think back to February, it was really interesting that bank stocks did not make new lows. They really held firm. And I think that was the tell that rates might be bottoming here because investors are now piling into them and they're coming out of, again, those tech stocks. So I see today on my screens, I see industrials, transports, energy, and banks all working. And that was a big part of that Q1 rally in equities. And you mentioned that on our podcast on the tape, the fact that you thought banks looked like they bottomed out something to watch. You were spot on because now you see the banks are sort of rallying on the next chart we want to look at, which is 10-year yield. I got to tell you something, Dan, that 114 level held once again. I mean, 115, give or take. Yeah. But that move on Friday, again, this is just my opinion. You can call me an old man, which I clearly <laughs> am. But 10-year yield should not move 10 basis points in about you know 45-second period, which is effectively what we saw on Friday. I mean, that is extraordinary, in my opinion. And here we are back above that short-term trend line that you drew, 131 as we do this. What are your thoughts? Again, you know where my thoughts are. I think we're actually going to take a look at that 175 level by the end of the year. I'm sure you think we sort of meander around here. You've been right. I've been wrong. What are your thoughts? No, I think you could get back up to 1.5% in the 10 year. And, and let me tell you something. I mean, I think if the Fed, you know, if the jobs data continues to be robust and, and maybe, you know, some of that weaker data that we're seeing in ISM and some of that stuff proves to be transitory and the Delta variant is quickly in the rearview mirror, you know, I think rates probably go higher because the Fed at some point in the fall is going to start to taper. I think you have to go back to 2013, guy. The first taper that the Fed did of QE was $10 billion in December uh, at their December 2013 meeting. And then they did $10 billion less at each meeting um, after that. What's important about that is that we saw a lot of things going around. You know, they were calling it the taper, taper tantrum. Equities really never got hit. But what happened is the dollar rallied and crude oil got killed. And these are the sorts of things that I like to keep an eye on, especially as if rates do start ticking back um, a little bit higher. I think it'd be very healthy for a taper. I think it'd be healthy for a higher 10-year yield. And I think equities should do okay. All that being said, I think S&P and NASDAQ, the best thing for people who want to see the markets close at the here at the highs at the end of the year would be a 10% correction in the not-so-distant future. I agree with you, which brings us to our next chart, by the way, Dan. I'm glad you mentioned the dollar because here it is. I mean, the dollar, 
you got to give the dollar credits hanging in there. I mean, I thought we'd absolutely go ratcheting through that 88 level. Well, we didn't even get below 90, really. And here we are, 93 and change in the DXY. Dollar looks like it's rallying, in my opinion, on the back of the stabilization in rates, or maybe it's some flight to quality. I'm not really sure. Chris Vecchio, I'm sure, has some thoughts. But here we are, dollar getting off the mat. And to you just nailed it. I mean, dollar rallying, crude going low. We're going to take a look at that as well. This is the 2013 Dan Nathan playbook playing out in August of 2021. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, listen, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, there was a lot of demand characteristics that were, were different in the post-financial crisis period. And I think we're going to see some different ones now. I mean, I think that the ESG sort of push, and we just saw that event at the White House last week, right? There's tremendous forces to get off of fossil fuels for a whole host of reasons. But the biggest thing near term, in my mind, is the fact that we're not going to see international travel back to the pre-pandemic levels for a while, right? And we're not seeing um, just a lot of business travel in general. So it's going to be domestic here. And we know that uh, fuel consumption for, for, for commercial airlines is a huge part of that too. No question about it. And I, this is the next chart we got to look at is one that's going to sort of, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put my Whoa. head down and just shake my head because Looked like gold was getting its mojo back. You know, Bitcoin was trading 31,000. Bitcoin wasn't doing a lot. The dollar was sort of giving up the ghost a bit. And all of a sudden, the dollar rallies. Bitcoin is explosive. We're going to take a look at that. And gold's giving it up here. And I got to tell you something. We are at critical levels in gold. I know Chris has some thoughts on that as well. I, I'm wrong all the time. R-O-N-G wrong. Well, I'm wrong again, Dad. Here you go. Well, I think that you were keying on some technical levels, and I think that you're cognizant of the fact that if you couldn't hold that downtrend line, um, you know, that we were probably going to test that support. It is interesting that we put these charts up in a different format than Chris is going to do. He's really identifying some trading levels. We're using it to really talk about some inflection points, if you will, um, that kind of help form our narratives about the macro situation. And, you know, to me, I think the gold story is really about Bitcoin. You know, I mean, like gold would be doing much better if Bitcoin didn't exist. And we know that that relationship, you know, this is a, a two, I think it was a three-year chart we're looking at right here. And it's interesting that the highs back in August of 2020, which were what? Post-financial crisis highs. You know where Bitcoin was? It's about 10,000. Okay. You know, so mm -hmm. here we are at Bitcoin. And let's just move it, as you would say, Slided who? Slided Earl. Earl. Slided Earl, Earl. Is his name for you yeah. folks, you match game Gene Rayburn fans out there. I know there's seven of you at least. Look, here we are, Dan. You're right. I mean, there's no question about it. Whether I realize it or not, there is an inverse correlation here. Obviously, Bitcoin goes higher, gold goes lower. And these charts just, I mean, you, uh, what do they say? A picture is worth a thousand words? Yeah. Well, in this case, a picture is worth 45,000 or so words. Yeah, I'll just mention this. This, you know, Tom Lee of Fundstrat Advisors, a friend of ours. I think he's been on the macro setup before. He comes on Fast Money with us a lot. He's been a big Bitcoin bull. He put a note out yesterday that I thought was really interesting. And this is one of the things, and you and I have talked about this before, and I don't really um, always understand this sort of thing, but he, you know, his note was like one of our three rules of trading Bitcoin is buy it above its 200-day moving average when it breaks out above that. We've just had a 50% rally in about a month or so. And that's not the sort of thing that I'm buying. Now, if you already own it, maybe that's where you add to it. If you hadn't um, prior, he's got a 100,000 year end price target. Um, you know, to my eye, it probably has some pretty good technical resistance at 50,000, but let's see if it can hold its 200 day moving average. It's had a huge, huge run in a very short period of time. But the last point I'll just make is that I know that you know the gold story really well. What's different this time is that one of the major bull cases 
for Bitcoin. It's just better gold. It's a better store of value. If it all is about a scarcity factor and an inflation hedge, why wouldn't you go to the one that's more transportable, I guess? Fair, fair enough. I mean, you say I know more, a lot about gold. Clearly, I don't know enough. But the next person we're going to have on, Chris yeah. Vecchio, who, by the way, I totally dig Chris Vecchio, <laughs> senior strategist at Daily FX. Chris, you heard us waxing poetic for the last 16 or so minutes. Thoughts before we take a look at your charts? Sure. Thanks for having me again, gentlemen. And before we begin, the Nadex Summer Bootcamp is today. And by oh, the no. time you're listening to this, it's probably going to be over, but don't worry. The archives will be up online. So if you'd like to watch that and you did have a chance to miss it, feel free to reach out for more info. Now, with respect to what's well, going on. Well, hold on. Hold on, Chris Vecchio. Let's, the, the idea of a boot camp, a trading boot camp, seems like right in guy in my uh, alley here. So this is going to be printed after that boot camp already happened. What are some of the things that I think our viewers should, should expect to kind of learn or freshen up in that boot camp? What are some of the strategies you guys are focused on? Absolutely. Uh, we're talking about how to trade short-term events like earnings releases. We're talking about how to even read what's going on with individual stocks and companies. Uh, more importantly, risk management. Risk management is the foundation for successful trading over the long term. And so you have to understand how to read volatility profiles. Uh, and if you really don't know how to do these things, then you're kind of gambling. And that's really not what we want to do here. We want to take yep. calculated risks in order to position ourselves for the highest, uh, best probabilistic outcome. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for that, Chris, because unfortunately, in a lot of circles, this has become gambling. And you know how that listen, you can hit a hot, hot craps table for a couple hours. Anybody can. But over time, the house always wins. And my fear is that's what's going to happen here unless you sort of have strategies in place. So thanks for pointing that out. And you're leading with gold today, which I think is fascinating because there's so many different ways you can go. But here we are. You just heard me talking about gold. We're at critical levels. What are your thoughts? You know, I'm thinking about that conversation that you guys had with Michael Saylor. I believe it was last week or the right. week before. And, and every incremental dollar that could theoretically go into gold is, is more or less going into Bitcoin right now. You know, one of the things that we had talked about was, you know, gold, go home. You're drunk. You can't take advantage of this <laughs> environment. You know, we have lowest all-time real yields. We have extensive monetary stimulus. We have extensive fiscal stimulus. And we couldn't get through those technical woods. We never got above 1835. And so with that really strong U.S. jobs report last week, back to back now and more tailwinds coming realistically in the future. Schools are reopening, uninsurance, employment benefits are, are ending in September. It appears that we're going to be looking to at least a stronger economic environment, one where their downside, the hedge against sovereign stupidity per se, uh, is not needed. And so right now, gold is stuck in the whirlwind. It's stuck in this situation where U.S. yields are rising, real yields are off the lows. And this is actually being reflected with what's going on with the greenback itself. Fed rate hike odds have gone up tremendously over the last week. In fact, you mm -hmm. take a look at the euro dollar contract spreads. Last week, we had 65 basis points priced in through the end of 2023. Today, we have 95. We've already tacked on a full rate hike over the past week to the end of calendar year 2023. So bad news for gold. Now, the price action at the start of the week was really concerning. Uh, we had this big sell order come through over the course of an hour right at the Globex Open on Sunday. About 24,000 Futures contracts were sold roughly about $4 billion notional value. And, and that was done in a thin market. So my opinion is that was a really inexperienced trader who did that, really just eating up all those orders at the start of trading for the week. But we've come back into significant support. We have a cluster of Fibonacci relationships. It's either from the 2020 low to 2021 high uh, zone area. We're talking about a move down to 1650. Uh, doesn't look great. And so for right now, gold, silver, there's better places. You're trying to catch a falling knife still. 
All right. Well, I, just, I, got, I just put my hand up here because oh, I, I didn't think, see it. I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize. I, I think Chris Vecchio made a really interesting point here. He said maybe that was a very inexperienced trader. I might take the other side. Maybe no, that was, was going to be a You and I, we share a brain. You're in my head. Maybe that was a very experienced trader because, you know, again, we're talking about this correlation to Bitcoin. And there's some people who made a lot of money in Bitcoin over the last, you know, 10 years, obviously, but even if you bought it at the lows in 2020 and maybe they know you trip off some stops in gold and that's going to get some stuff going in Bitcoin the other way. Guy, what do you think? About I, that? I thought the exact same thing. I, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, maybe it's somebody that has a huge Bitcoin position yeah. and they're using gold as sort of a lost leader and they'll take a flyer and they'll push gold knowing that that will trigger stops and maybe it'll trigger buy stops in Bitcoin. I mean, it's not preposterous to think, but I love the way different minds work. You know, I'm going to be 83 years old, I think, in December. So <laughs> you look I've been great around to see this. I appreciate yeah. that. But obviously, you know, it's something looks great as well as this dollar chart, Chris. And you brought that along. <laughs> you want to take a look at it. This sucker, I thought it was going to crater, obviously, anything but. Right. We had that false breakout in July, and now it appears that was a false breakdown that we had just a few a few days ago. And Rising U.S. Treasury yields on their own don't mean much, but the fact that U.S. real yields are off the lows, and and more importantly, the shape of the yield curve is changing. We're seeing that the belly of the yield curve, uh, negative butterfly, is coming into play. So basically, intermediate rates, they're rising faster than short end or long end rates, and that's wholly consistent with what we saw around the taper tantrum. And so if we continue to see that occur, we continue to see the yield curve develop in such a manner, and those Fed rate hike odds pull forward, that gives the dollar a little bit more steam in its engine. There's a difference between, say, tapering and tightening, right? Tapering is taking your foot off the accelerator. Mm-hmm. We're still getting stimulus. We're just not getting as much stimulus. So the dollar to me, we can go higher here. We can end up in that 93 and a half range towards the yearly high. Uh, I believe the next chart is the euro. That looks like that still has a little bit more downside as well. The euro being the largest component of the dollar index, heading towards that cluster of Fibonacci relationships or to me retracements, that 2020 low to the high that we had at the start of the year that comes in right around 117. And we're not that far from there right now. So down below 117, Euro looks very slippery and has the largest component of the dollar index. That gives the dollar even more juice to the top side. All right, so Chris, I I have a question though. I have a question here. All right, Chris, so does the Euro look better as a short versus or, or this is kind of a little would you rather, or does the dollar, the Dixie look better as a long? And again, I get it. The Euro is 50% of that Dixie basket, but if you had to choose one, press the short here on the Euro at that support, right? Or buy the breakout in the Dixie. What are you thinking? I think it's the Euro, honestly. I think that the dollar itself, there's other competing factors, right? If we do have a sell-off in equities, dollar yen could pull lower, uh, pound dollar looks like it still can go higher. In fact, I think among all the dollar pairs, it is the best position for any dollar weakness right now. And so I think the euro is in a little bit of a tricky spot here. We still have rising infection rates. The vaccination efforts while have improved. We're not necessarily seeing that kind of travel return, which is huge for the European summer season for uh, their economies, particularly the end of August, as everyone knows. And right now, there's really not much to look forward to per se. The only caveat, of course, is that ECB's timeline for expected changes of policy it's already been pushed out to 2025. How much more how much more bearish can we get at this point in time? So uh, euro maybe versus the dollar shorter, but euro pound, that to me is very interesting right now. Uh, even euro yen to the top side, if you like equities still, and we have rising yields, that could be a potential hedge against any euro dollar weakness. 
Talk to me about dollar yen because I happen to agree with you, but you know, we're obviously, you know, we're post, I'm not a huge Olympic fan. I was an Olympic fan, you know, in the 1980s when it was, was amateur sports. Now it's anything, but, but we're through the Olympics. Um, we'll see what happens now, but dollar yen seems like it's wants to trust up to that 112 level. We actually talked about this, I think with you last week. Yes. And we're beginning to see that outside of that longer term from the beginning of the year, the, the bearish rising wedge, this shorter-term bullish rising wedge has begun to take shape. And over the last few days, we have seen prices break out. We got the close above that descending trend line from the July uh, swing highs. And now, as a result, we are quickly heading into that mid-July bearish key reversal on the daily candlestick there, which comes up about 110.70. So if we're above 110.70, this looks like a clear path to me back to the yearly highs. And ultimately, that's probably going to be something that's good for risk, good for equities. Yen does not uh, does not fare poorly when equities are selling off. And moreover, with gold weakening, gold and yen have the highest correlation in terms of FX to the precious metal. So a weaker yen typically goes alongside weaker gold prices and gold just looks sick right now. That's for sure. Let's take a look at your next chart because I, I happen to agree with you. I think we're going to push up. Next one, I believe is pound, right? I mean, sterling for you old timers out there. Thoughts here? Because this to me, I look at this and we're sort of in no man's land. We're definitely in no man's land. Uh, you know, cable here is starting to show signs of more bearish tendencies, but among the dollar pairs, it has been the most resilient currency. And so from my perspective, we are still on the other side of this trend line break from the yearly high. Uh, from that point of view, if there is a place that I'd like to play any dollar weakness over the coming days, this would be the place. The caveat, of course, is if we see equities nosedive and yields go into the tank, then the yen becomes the obvious uh, point of interest. But for now, the UK economy is still plowing through this Delta variant wave. We, we've seen that actually their data is more or less what we're hanging our hats on here in the United States, that we will get through this. We're not going to see that uh, you know, immense increase in deaths and hospitalizations, although those are up here in the US. The data still speaks to the fact that what's happening in the UK not a significant rise in excess mortality. And so the British economy, despite all the you know, naysayers around Brexit, who I would include myself in that bunch, the UK economy seems relatively well positioned to remain resilient now through the summer months heading into the latter part of this year. And even though Andy Haldane, the chief economist at the BOE, departed a few months ago, the remaining MPC board members have become a little bit more hawkish at the margin. So uh, a more greater uh, effort towards stimulus withdrawal, that's certainly possible I do think that the pound is well positioned to take advantage of that environment in the second half of this year. You don't mess around, Chris. You bring it, man. I love that. You, you're, you're dropping stuff. You're dropping dimes and dropping knowledge all over the place. Well, crude oil, NG if you're long, brother. Dan Nathan's been on this one. I don't know if this is a hungry crocodile or some sort of giraffe, but it certainly doesn't look particularly good. No, and, and crude oil prices to me, I, I've been very bullish because of the correlation with uh, global growth, historically speaking. But the reality is that we are seeing some of these Delta variant fears come into play. Now, uh, exiting this rising channel since the November election, more or less, this new economic regime in the United States, we have seen uh, price action morph into a bit of a symmetrical triangle, a sideways consolidation here. Uh, this chart's actually a little bit older. The, the price today is up above 69, I believe now. And so there is some more uh, substantive support coming in. I would say, though, if we do see more of these headlines out of China about a deeper set shutdown, a deeper setback, you have demand in the world's second largest economy looking like it could fall in the near term. And ultimately, I wouldn't rule out a retest of the $60 level before we begin a, a much more significant climb, perhaps, into uh, the fourth quarter. 
And to your credit, you've been saying that for a while. So I appreciate it. Dan, you have any thoughts here in crude? Because you've been on it, brother. Yeah, it just felt like, listen, like a lot of other commodities, we saw them overshoot. The inflation fields were were just kind of pretty rampant in you know, late spring, um, early summer. And it just makes sense that we correct a little bit, given the uncertainty about the global reflation trade. And, and just as Chris said, China is a big concern here. Technically, you did get that bounce off that line um, that Chris drew. But I could also see 60 in the not so um, distant future, especially if we see the rates and dollar firming here. I love having Chris Vecchio on. I want to thank Chris Vecchio, senior FX strategist at Daily FX, uh, stud, by the way, STUD for you playing our home game. Dan Nathan, I want to thank you. And obviously, we always have to thank our sponsors. Before, Dan, any parting shots? Yeah, I just think that, you know, we started the show off talking about the impervious large cap um, stock market. And I think today's action, you know, here we are on Tuesday, it's the 10th, and we're just seeing a lot of rotation again. Tech is weak, but we're seeing banks firm, we're seeing energy firm, we're seeing some industrials firm. Um, You know, that's the sort of thing that keeps the S&P elevated um, where it is. At some point, I suspect, you know, uh, somebody's going to hit the button at the same time, and we're going to have a little bit of a correction because we're going to really kind of have to rethink valuations relative to where the expectations are for the global recovery guy now. Well, until that time comes, Dan, I want to thank again, Chris, Chris Vecchio, love his work. And I want to thank our sponsors. Today's macro setup brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Nadex. Dan, you're getting ready for this. The leading (laughs) U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and knockouts. Damn straight. And of course, open exchange. (laughs) They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Hopefully, I will see you next Tuesday, the 17th, for the macro setup. Until then, peace out, Girl Scout. (laughs) See ya.